people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a funny anecdote in the middle of Michael Crichton's autobiography called Travels, which, by the way, is a fascinating book. This Harvard Medical School-educated physician and writer discusses his true, according to him, but incredibly hard-to-believe experiences with um, visible auras, accurate fortune-telling, astral travel, and, I'm not joking, actual entities that were attached to his subconscious, one that looked like a little man, and one that looked like a giant bug. Entities. It's bananas. Anyway, in one of the less paranormal scenes from Michael Crichton's autobiography, he tells a story about being in an animal, an animal blind in South America. He and another couple are hiding there, hoping to see some rare indigenous wildlife. The other couple is driving Crichton crazy, though, because they are incapable of being quiet. Crichton, of course, is a writer, so he's used to being by himself and silent for long periods of time. Silence doesn't bother him. But that's not the case for this other couple. They're talking. And so every so often, Crichton will shush them reminding them that if they talk, animals won't come. In fact, the whole point of being in the blind is to hide themselves. The whole thing is pointless if they're talking. So after being shushed, the couple is silent for a minute or two. And then they start whispering to each other and then talking under their breath. And finally, just talking to each other in their normal speaking voices. At which point, Crichton has to shush them again, and the whole cycle starts over. Perhaps not surprisingly, they never see any animals. Now, Crichton's story serves to illustrate something that is true about humans. We're terrible at waiting. I know this to be true in my own life. Recently, when I've gotten to a restaurant before the person I'm having lunch with, I've tried to make a conscious decision not to pull out my cell phone to fill the time. I make myself just sit there and think. And it's almost impossible. Why is that? Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. 
for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's from our reading from Luke 21. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. When we're quiet, when we're silent, when we're waiting, we can see the signs. We can see when we're quiet, what's going on in the world. We can see what's going on in our families. We can see what's going on in our own hearts. We can see when we're quiet, the difference between the way things are and the way things ought to be. But most of all, when we're quiet, we can see our inability to do much of anything about it. Tom Petty said that the waiting was the hardest part. And this is why the waiting shows us our powerlessness. We want what we want right now. We live in an on-demand world. Amazon can have that package to your house in less than two hours if you pay enough for it. Try to remember the last time you had to wait for something that you didn't expect to wait for. Now remember how angry you were about it. And now remember how actually it wasn't that big a deal. We can't wait for anything. And so when we're confronted with something that we can't have right now, whether it's our lunch date, our airline departure, or reconciliation with our estranged sister, whether it's something little or something huge, it drives us crazy. And it drives us crazy because we think we've been told that we're powerful. That we're powerful enough to have whatever we want when we want to have it and when we can't and our eyes are opened to our powerlessness we can get pretty depressed and angry about it and so we pull out our phones or start talking in the animal blind or say we never liked that sister much anyway or whatever we can do to distract ourselves from our powerlessness. This is the first Sunday of Advent, the season during which we prepare and wait for Christmas, when we finally get to open our presents. I mean, um, celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Christmas is coming, but it's not here yet. Even though our Reading from Luke this morning actually hints at it right at the end. You heard it, right? After describing the people fainting from fear and foreboding, Jesus says that something else is coming too. He says, when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. There it is. Snuck in there after the fear and foreboding. Your redemption is drawing near. 
This is the story of the Bible, the story of Christianity, and the reason that the gospel is good news. This is what makes me a Christian. This transition from fear and foreboding to redemption. But, as always, we have to acknowledge the bad news before we get to the good news. When the Ghostbusters are called into the mayor's office, they're asked to describe what might happen if Gozer is unleashed on the world. A disaster of biblical proportions, they say. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies, rivers and seas boiling, 40 years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Billy Bob Thornton does the same thing in Armageddon. When he's asked what would happen were an asteroid the size of Texas to hit the Earth, half of the Earth's population will be incinerated by the heat blast. The rest will freeze to death in a nuclear winter, basically the worst parts of the Bible. Both movies reference the Bible. Do you know what this means? My dreams have come true. Jesus speaks in movie quotes. There will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. Is it the Ghostbusters? Or is it Jesus? People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's Jesus. In Armageddon 2, this time it's biblical. A disaster of biblical proportions. Basically, the worst parts of the Bible. And listen, it's the worst parts of the Bible that we're living through right now. It's Armageddon 2. Fear and foreboding. Watch the news. Examine your heart. It's both out there and in here. But that's why I'm a Christian. The Bible knows what your life is really like. Jesus is aware of what you're going through. And he's telling it like it is. Jesus is the ultimate tell-it-like-it-is guy. Remember the woman at the well who got the tell-it-like-it-is treatment from Jesus about her five-plus husbands? She went back to her town and told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. No sugarcoating from Jesus. No power of positive thinking. Just the truth about your real life about fear, about foreboding. Jesus knows that this life is hard. Actually, more than that, Jesus knows that this life is impossible. That's why he came. The worst parts of the Bible are the ones that describe a world waiting for a savior. Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part. 
So you can understand our usual desire to skip over the waiting and get to the good stuff. In the spring, people will try to skip over Good Friday and celebrate Easter. Right now, people will skip over Advent to celebrate Christmas. We always want to skip over the fear and foreboding and get to the redemption. But it's the church's job, at least a little bit, to get us to stop and to consider the waiting and what our struggle to wait says about us. When the disciples pressed Jesus about when these things were going to happen, they didn't want to wait any more than you do. He told them about the kind of things that would be happening, but he did not specify a time. And ultimately, he says that only the Father in heaven knows the day and the hour. He's making the people wait. He wants them to get used to the idea of waiting. But why? Well, he is asking people to do something that they're not good at. He's asking them, in fact, he's forcing them to be passive. Now, passivity is the hardest thing for people to be. We are active by our very nature. We want to be involved. We want to have a part to play. We want to do. Passivity is powerlessness, and we hate it. When we're confronted with a problem, we want to act to try to solve it. And the hardest thing for us is to be asked to wait. It's almost as if our very humanity is called into question if we're not doing something. And that's why Advent is such a profound season. Advent is a time of passivity. A time when we Wait, a time when we are brought face to face with and have to recognize our powerlessness. The truth that there's nothing we can do to achieve our own redemption. And this really is the most valuable lesson that we can learn during Advent. We learn that we must wait for the coming of a Savior. A Savior that we cannot be. For ourselves. That's the bad news. You cannot save yourself. You must wait. That causes fear and foreboding. But redemption is coming. In the end, the waiting, though it is the hardest part, opens the door to the best part, the good news, because our waiting is not in vain. We have a God who comes to us. Our, our normal thought is that the lack of something to do is utterly intolerable. It's like nails on a chalkboard to us. The idea that we can't do anything is impossible to stand. But to have a God who doesn't give you anything to do is actually great. <clears throat> In fact, it's the greatest thing ever. It's the gospel itself. God comes to you and doesn't ask you to get to him. For these four weeks, we try to become accustomed to this idea. 
We celebrate Advent, a season of waiting, which is hard. But it's the best kind of waiting. Because at the end, a Savior comes and comes to us and comes to you. He's a Savior who knows what the waiting has been like. Who knows that your life is full of fear and foreboding. He knows that the waiting is the hardest part. There is good news. All we have to do, all we can do, is wait. He'll do the work of redemption. And he has. We'll celebrate it in a month. Amen.